Hey, hey, this is Donna Price. Welcome to Visionary Womenpreneurs Radio, where we interview visionary women making a difference in the world. Womenpreneurs that have a vision bigger than just themselves, that are impacting their families, their communities, and the world at large. At Visionary Womenpreneurs, we bring women together to connect, collaborate, and celebrate, and make a difference. We focus on womenpreneurs that are impacting the world in six big ways, ending poverty, empowering women, increasing and improving education and access to education, girls and youth empowerment, the environment and climate change, and entrepreneurship. I welcome you to Visionary Womenpreneurs Radio and hope that you find the different women that we interview inspiring and that you take action to change your world. You too can connect with the Visionary Womenpreneurs. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com backslash groups backslash Visionary Womenpreneurs or visit our website at visionarywomenpreneurs.com. And I look forward to having you be part of our community to make a difference and change the world in positive ways. Welcome to Visionary Womenpreneurs Radio. Today, I have an incredible guest. Jacqueline Nagel is determined to make sure her clients shift beyond simply knowing how to speak and being heard to being remembered, sought after, and paid for their expertise and experience. With a diverse career crossing professional services, mining services, civil construction, manufacturing, and industrial relations, Jacqueline has used speaking-centric strategies extensively to launch, pivot, and manage multiple eight-figure growth and moments of extreme crisis across all organizations she has been involved with. She has successfully trained consultants, professionals, business owners, executives, and C-suite executives in speaking, sales, core messaging, negotiating, and positioning before turning her attention more specifically to the craft of speaking in 2017. Since she has worked with hundreds of emerging and established speakers and subject matter experts across Australia and the USA, delivering training to some of Australia's major corporate brands, working with Australian Institute of Sport gold medal alumni program, and she has recently been awarded the Global Designation of Certified Speaking Professional. Today, she is going to share with us how speaking is your tool to create influence for your business. I want to welcome Jacqueline Nagel, Nagel to the show. Thanks for being here. So, all right. Well, thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad to meet you and you're coming to us from Australia, which is really awesome to be talking with someone, um, different time zones, different time of day and from a whole different part of the world. So thank you. That's okay. Thank you so much for having me, Donna. So I know that um, your company, it looks like to me is all about speaking and getting people confident in their speaking and getting their message really clear and out there for people. Um, so I wanted to 
hear first, like how you came to that um, as your as your focus, and you know why speaking. Yeah, so it's really interesting. I I sometimes am quite surprised that I'm here. So my background was not. If you told me five years ago I'd be training people how to speak, I probably would have laughed at you. <laughs> so my <laughs> my background was not this. So I have a background in labour hire, which I think in America is is known as staffing, so sending temporary and casual employers employees out. So my background is in labour hire, uh, mining services, manufacturing industry. I've been CEO of a traffic control company, and so very heavy duty industries, male dominated rapid growth so taking business like i took a business from forming to 22 million in 15 months so very much uh hard ceo style in hard industries and but what was happening was i was coming out of i was ceo of a traffic control company i was coming out of that position and i was actually thinking for the first time i was in my sort of early 40s early to mid 40s all my children were older three of the four of them were completely independent and i started thinking well what do i want to do when i grow up and, you know, this is the first time in a long time that I could actually start to think about what that might be. And I had no idea. So I started going, I made a commitment to go to every event, networking event I could find within a 50 kilometer radius for 90 days. And one of the big things I learned from that was there are a lot of rooms I didn't want to go back into. <laughs> um, but the big thing I noticed was that whether I was attending a free event or an event where I was paying a lot of money, the speakers were quite often really bad and not because their knowledge was bad, but because they simply hadn't been taught how to speak. And I had actually created most of my success in business through being able to speak well. So whether it was speaking, pitching, negotiating, anything like that. But I also hadn't discovered that that was important until I was 29. So I was 29, general manager of a multi-million dollar recruitment business and refusing to speak and I got caught into having to speak one day and our business exploded and that so I learned then that it was important and I went and invested in my skill in doing that and so I just got really annoyed that first of all got really annoyed that I was giving my time to so many people who couldn't speak well and secondly got went and started looking at well what's out there for speaker training now negotiation skills and pitching skills and sales skills and all that sort of stuff and i found that every time you put the word entrepreneur or business owner into speaker training it became about sell from stage and follow this process and do this formula and i'm like what happened to actually giving immense value and positioning yourself as the only person to go to for this work and i got a little bit arrogant and a little bit annoyed and i thought i could do it better and I just ran a pilot program and literally it was going to be something that I did until the next real job came along or the next real business came along. And three and a half, four years later, here I am with this real business that's about teaching you how to speak and sell and pitch. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's been nice. It's like, it's been really surprising. It's not where I expected it to go, but I discovered one of the things, so it's like I get a dopamine hit. Um, so when I'm working with someone who's really good at what they do or really clever, or got incredible expertise and suddenly they realize that not only do they have something to say, but there is a way to say it that people are going to respond to. There's like this split second of sheer delight in their face, no matter who they are. It's just like split second of absolute delight when they realize that they've got a way now to be heard in the world. And that's, that's the moment that I live for. Nice. I can totally relate to, I didn't do the 90 days of networking um, but I've been to so many networking meetings where the speaker is um, hard to listen to. And yeah. 
and you know and that they've gotten a port an important message but it's they're just losing everybody in the room yeah and i think there's no greater tragedy like you know it's not because they don't know what they're doing it's not because you can't use what they're doing and it's not because you know you can't get to know them well enough to refer them it's nothing to do with their skill and nothing to do with their experience and the value they bring to the world and everything to do with the fact that they don't know yet how to articulate and say that definitely so tell me the for the speaking business itself like that could be your business is to be a speaker like Mm. what types of business models would you have as a speaker And then we'll come back to speaking. Yeah. So as a speaker and for speaking, there's really, so I'll start, there's, there's three or four different reasons why people decide to become a speaker. And then there's a couple of different, three models around that. So the first thing is, is the four different reasons why people choose to become speakers is one, they discover that there's a thing called a professional speaker and you can be paid to speak and that's your main source of revenue. And people mistakenly think that that's really all they're training for. And it's actually not. The second type is you're a subject matter expert who is paid to speak. So you're good at your stuff and people start to pay you to speak and you're like, hmm, I wouldn't mind a bit more of that, but I don't want to give up my day job, so to speak, or my core business. And then the third type is somebody who actually wants to create a movement or ignite or start a conversation. So they really want to be able to get people moving in a certain direction with an idea. So that's the three main reasons. And the fourth one is actually just to grow your business, which is what we're talking about with networking events. So even though people immediately go to, I'm not sure I want to be a speaker, it's actually there's all these different ways that we can use it. So if you're going to become a speaker, there's three core models that I talk about that should back that up. So there's the ones that are quite often professional speakers or subject matter experts. So they will research and they will write. And then the end result of that is speak. So their whole life is around researching, writing, exploring, and then they speak to what it is that they write about. The second model is is that we actually are building a consulting-based business. So we're specialist knowledge and we want to get it out there. So what we do with that is we productize and we consult and we speak. And we speak really to position ourselves as the expert to grow our consulting type business. So we productize, we consult and we speak. And then the third one is actually the educator at a heart. So someone who's an educator at heart. So what we do with that is we're going to develop. So we go, I want to be able to teach somebody how to do something. So we develop a way of doing that. We teach it or we educate and we speak to that through that mechanism. So they're the sort of three core models that I see people building all the time where speaking really elevates you. I mean, speaking helps you in any business that you're in, but they're the three core models where people decide that they really want to get what they do into the world in a bigger way. Okay. And I think one of the important things that you said is that um, speaking and being good at speaking is important. Even if you're not going to be a speaker as your business um you know kind of whatever business you're in you need to be able to share your message in a good way that keeps people's interest and draws them to you and doesn't put them to sleep or (laughs) (laughs) what you want is you want people to go i get what she does or he does and I want to be in their world. I want to work with them. That's the ultimate. But no matter what, you want anybody who hears from you to enjoy the experience of you. And people sort of think about speaking as being on a big stage. But speaking is actually one-to-one winning some work. Speaking is a conversation. Speaking is 
uh, a podcast, if speaking is on a video, speaking is doing Facebook Live, speaking is doing LinkedIn Live, speaking is Instagram TV. We have so many platforms now. And if we're in business now and you don't want to be invisible, you have to be able to speak. It's not about being a speaker. It's about yeah. how do you get people not just to, you know, I keep saying at the moment, it's, it's, you want to be, you want to speak, you want to be heard. And more than that, you want to be remembered right. for all the reasons. <laughs> yeah. And you want to be comfortable doing it. You know, totally. I, I know I've had clients in the past where I've offered for them to come on, not this podcast, but a previous podcast I hosted. And they're like, oh, well, you know, give me six weeks to prepare. And it's like, well, you're a business owner. You, you need to be able to talk about like your topic, and this is a podcast, it's a conversation, you know, yeah. which we're having, you know, but anyway, so I think that that confidence is important as a business owner to be able to jump onto a podcast or yeah, an opportunity where somebody says, do you want to share what you do? And yeah, and one of the things, you know, you, you want to be able to take that opportunity. You want to be able to actually get your key messaging across. But you want to, I say to people all the time, even if I'm getting somebody ready to speak on a stage of 10,000, you are having one conversation with one person every time. And if you think of it that way, you end up with what we call conversational ease. So you can get on a podcast with no notice. You can actually step onto a stage of 10,000 or a stage of 10. It's about actually getting the confidence and the competence and having the frameworks to be able to deliver this thing as if it's just a conversation we want conversational ease with everything we do definitely so i think that's a a good thing for people to remember it's a conversation and yeah. think of it as you know talking with one person and yeah that can help overcome i think ten thousand is a little intimidating probably yeah like seriously <laughs> like you know it is too <laughs> It is intimidating. Um, and there is obviously different stagecraft skills that you need if you're going to go to that level. But generally speaking, your content and the way that you put your content together doesn't actually change a lot. The production around it is what changes, not the content and not what you deliver. Definitely. Definitely. Mm -hmm. So um, why does being told you're so good ah. kill your speaking future? This is one of my favorites. And it took me a while to work out because I kept meeting people who were speaking for their business or speaking as a speaker. But when you actually, when they realize that you're a speaker trainer or that you're a pitch trainer or a sales coach, you would get these sort of behind closed doors conversations where they would reach out and their confession was, I'm going broke. I don't know how long I can keep doing this. And you're sort of thinking, hang on, but you are positioned so beautifully. I've heard you speak. And I was trying to figure out what was going on. And then I realized, and it happened, and I'll tell you about where it happened. But when you get told you're so good, is somebody saying to you, you're so good. So you hear it all the time. And it's like, you're so good. You're amazing. Your story's incredible. You're so brave. I couldn't believe what you went through and all that sort of stuff. So when they're doing that, you actually haven't gone landed in their heart. You need to land in their heart to get the connection for them to trust you. What they're saying is you're so good, but I'm not in your story. You're so good, but I'm putting on a pedestal. You're so good, but that would never happen to me. What you want is you want them coming up to you when they hear you speak. And not everybody, just the chosen few that you want to work with or that you want to work, be in their world. But you want people coming up to you and saying, when you said this, it reminded me of that. When you talked about my, your grandmother, I thought about my own nana. When you explained what you did to get out of that, I suddenly had hope. So you want them to tell you the emotional response that elicits from you. And it can be if you're building a business, it can be, you know, when you talked about that, I suddenly thought, if I could work with you for a moment, I can do that too. 
right? So it's that same version of I got hope. When you spoke about that project that you're delivering, because we're all, you know, most of the world now is about social contribution. I suddenly went, you share my values and I want to do something with you. So it's all about, yeah, when they're saying you're so good and what happens is when we get the feedback of you're so good, we think we've made it. Like, you know, we, everyone's telling us we're so good. Yep. But it's still inconsistent. We're not actually necessarily speaking the wrong, right rooms we're not necessarily in front of the right people. It's all a bit hit and miss, it's a bit intermittent, but we keep hearing you're so good and we keep hearing I love your content, but it's just not coming together. And it's because we actually haven't made that final, what I call going through the tipping point, where we go from talking to people to they feel as though we're inside their head. They, it's like, you'll hear comments like, it's like you're inside my mind. How do you know my world? Are you looking in my window at night? Like it's those sorts of comments that we get back that we know that we've entered their world. Nice. That happens to me sometimes on these podcast interviews. I'm like, ah, I, I can relate yeah. to that. I, I used to have that with people um, saying, I see you everywhere. Like you're doing so much. I see you everywhere. And it was at a time where I didn't have enough business. And part of what I found out was that people's perception was I was so busy. I did not have time for That's them. Fine. Yeah. And, there was no room to fit them into my business. So they didn't even ask, like, can I work with you? Um, You know, and so it, it's definitely interesting to figure out like what that, what those messages mean. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And one of the things that's really important is quite often when we, especially if we're speaking on behalf of our business or to position our own personal profile as an expert, one of the things that's really interesting is that, you know, there is a, there is a way that we need to put it together so that even if we are everywhere, people feel connected to us. And that's what that getting through that tipping point is all about. So even for example, somebody thinks we're everywhere and we're really busy. We land in their hearts so strongly that they reach out anyway. They go, you know, literally at the top of, I have a triangle on the top of that is like, there's, there's you're so good. And it's like, it's, it's like you're in my head. How do you know what's going on in my world? And the top of that is what I call, here's my check which is I'm going to reach out to you anyway, because I don't, I, I, I'm pretty sure you'd be busy, but I don't care what it takes. I need to be able to work with you. I need you in my business, with my team, in my life, whatever it is. So it's when we can get into that connection through the tipping point, people will reach out even if they think that we're busy because it's like, no, that's the person I need because you've connected with them here, not here. So it also sounds like in your speaking, like you have to be really authentic. Oh, Totally. And, and not kind of put up this facade, but like it's, you, yeah. there's got to be heart there. I, it sounds heart. like what you're saying. And there's got to be, there, there has to be heart. So I say to people all the time, you know, there's, there's a couple of things. There's got to be heart, but you also got to be careful not to do what I call therapy from the stage. Yeah. So if you've got some big transformational experience, you should only speak to it when you can speak to the end result with confidence and without breaking down. So authenticity has been mistaken for a rawness and a vulnerability that is too far because you've got to actually look after your audience. If you want them to respond to you, to come into your world, to let you into their world, they have to feel like they can trust you to do that. And when you take them into deep trauma or raw emotion and you don't know how to bring them through to the end result, you leave them down in the ditch, so to speak. And that's, that's actually not what you want. So the first thing is, 
authenticity is not about being so raw and vulnerable that you're doing your own therapy from the stage. That's number one. And when I say stage, by the way, it can be in front of two people. It's not about big stages. Yeah. The second thing is, is to be authentic. Authentic. There's a, there's a raft, and this is one of the things that I got involved with um, speaker training because there's so many people out there saying, come with me, I can make you an authentic speaker. And when you get in the room, it's like, I can make you an authentic speaker, but it's only in my likeness because they don't know how to build you other than the way that they've done it, which is well and good if you're going into exactly the same arena as they are. Right. But if not, the question is about being authentic. How do you actually be authentic? And so there are, we need structures and we need frameworks and we need process to make sure that we're really great speakers. But the first step is actually understanding who you are. And so I will say to people all the time, they'll come up to me and say, oh, I know I need to be a better speaker for whatever reason. And I know I need to be funny. And my question is always, well, are you funny in real life? And people sort of look at me and they go, what? And I'm like, well, seriously, like if you're not funny in real life, if you're not naturally funny, don't try to be funny from the front of the room or from on the stage because the audience will know. Even if they can't identify that that's what it is, they'll know that it's not you. And so you need to understand, first of all, who you are. So are you a jester, which is, you know, sense of humor and builds relationships through warmth and storytelling? Are you the joker, which is the funny person? Are you a rock star? like a bono are you um, a lioness fiercely protective of the people around you are you a preacher like who are you naturally from a style perspective and build that don't build what other people tell you to be first of all identify who you are so we look at three things to be authentic the first one is who are you truly at a core level how are you naturally and how do we amplify that the second part is what do you know so so many people start speaking on things that they think the audience wants to hear and they start trying to adapt their knowledge to what they think the audience wants. So what's good trending on Google? Like, you know, I literally sat in a mastermind room once where they went, do the Google search and adapt your knowledge to the keywords that are coming up in the top 10. So I'm like, really? Like, so the second part of authenticity is what do you have the right to speak to? Yeah. What do you want to speak to? What do you have the right to speak to? Where's your lived experience, your expertise or your view of the world worth sharing with other people. So what do you have the right to speak to? And the third part is, is how do you serve? So how do you share? How do you teach? How do you get people to think differently? How do you serve? And those three things together when we identify them and anyone can do that. In fact, there's some resources that we'll share later that you can actually start that process. Those three things together mean that you actually never have to think about being authentic again once you've identified those three because it just happens. Yeah, definitely. Um, so let's talk about speaking like right now in the land that we're living with COVID-19 and like the stage is different because you're not going out onto a stage. So what are some things that people can be doing now? So one of the things that is really interesting is that those people who know what they do so they know what they have the right to speak to and who they are they've made the transition quite well and the reason being is that they realize that delivering through a camera which is what we're all doing now is actually just a new way of delivery or a different way of delivery or for some people it's just more of that delivery that they were doing so the first thing is is don't lose sight of the fact that what you have is still of value that's number one the second thing is is get in front of a camera and get comfortable if, even if it's just on your iphones now and smartphones are so sophisticated when it comes to speaking down a camera. So just speak down, get comfortable speaking down a camera, get comfortable with 
lighting and sound and all that sort of stuff. It's the production now that saves you. Um, if you are a small business owner in a small community, just let people know through Facebook or LinkedIn or you know WhatsApp or whatever that you're going to do this thing and you'd really love them to jump on and give you some feedback, right? You know, people are always really willing to give feedback. Like, don't take it personally when they do, though. That's the, that's the number one thing with that. <laughs> So, but just get really comfortable. Understand that just because you might not be face to face. So what's been interesting for us is we do all, anything you find on our website now we do virtually. So we don't scream at you that we've got virtual. It's just, if you see something you want to do, we're doing it virtually already. And so one of the things that has been really interesting is a lot of us are noticing that we're getting just as good, if not better engagement doing virtual delivery, which is surprising for people. So don't be afraid of it. Yep. Do the things that you would do if you're delivering in person. Make it great value. Make it easy to follow. Make sure that you're speaking clearly. Allow for people to ask questions and just get in front of the camera and get comfortable. Great advice. And it's become so much easier to do, as you said, with our phones, but also just with the technology online to get online. Oh. I would, I am so grateful every day that we're doing this pandemic, this global impact, like it doesn't matter about your opinion. The situation we're in, we're doing now, even five years ago, our technology could not have supported us to keep functioning the way that it has now. And no. I think, we're, you know, we're, we, I'm so grateful every day that we're doing it now at this period in time. Yeah. When it first started, I live in a very rural area where we have kind of unstable internet sometimes. <laughs> when just a few of us are at home working from home and I was worried what was going to happen when everybody's going to school online and working from home, all of us at the same time. And for the most part, it's been pretty stable. And yeah. it, you know, I really thought it could, we could just lose the internet altogether out here. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. Rural can be hit and miss. Absolutely. But you yeah. know, it's, one of those things like invest in actually how you put your speaking together, learn how to build the muscle of speaking and pitching and sales and negotiating and all that sort of stuff and just do it. Like, you know, you, it's one of those things where I call it a contact sport. So speaking is a contact sport. So the only way you get better at it is not by rehearsing in front of the mirror or to your teddy bears or your dogs or your children that must sit on the seat. The only way you can get better at it is, it's a contact sport. You've got to actually do it. So even if you're just delivering to one person, even if you're just speaking to a camera that's going to go on YouTube or Vimeo or, you know, interviews, get yourself on podcasts like we're doing right now. Like just, it's a contact sport and you can't actually get great at it without actually being in the arena. And that's one of the hardest parts for people to do. So you, you know, I was not good at speaking the first time I spoke, right? Yeah. The truth of the matter is, is that I was not good at negotiating the first time I spoke. I was useless at sales, the first sales position I had. It's like everything else. It is a muscle build. And the only way you can do it is by making it into a contact sport. I think that's really important because some people get stuck on perfection. Yeah. And you have an opportunity with Facebook Live and um, just... TikTok and all the different platforms where you can go out and you can have short little videos where you can practice over and over and it does not have to be perfect. No. And sometimes you get more engagement when it's not perfect. I know. I know. And, it's, and you know, as a professional, it really like sometimes you go, ah, oh, 
that really, it actually annoys me because <laughs> I'm really? like, put so much effort in. But it's also, it's a combination. Like sometimes the ones that are more real and raw and off the cuff are only so good. Like there was a, a fabulous sports coach here in Australia who's no longer with us, but he had a mantra that I believe in the heat of the battle, you don't rise your expectations. I believe in the heat of the battle, you sink to the level of your training, right? And so sometimes the really good stuff that comes across off the cuff that really works is because you've actually done the work over here. And so it sort of becomes a matrix, but sometimes you go, Oh, really? Like that one was just, I just did it like that. And that's gone better than this one. But you know, the other thing as well as talking to a client earlier this week, and I was saying professionalism is not perfectionism. Right. So, so many of us get caught up on being professionally enough and professionally presented and professionally speaking and professional everything else. And that's where the perfectionism that you just mentioned creeps in. But professionalism is not perfectionism. Professionalism is knowing how to connect no matter what is going on around you. And professionalism is knowing how to get your message across in a way that people want to hear you. That's yeah. professionalism. That's not perfectionism. Right. And so I think if you stumble on a word, it doesn't mean that you have to do the whole thing over again. Right. In fact, if you stumble on a word, and this is great advice, thank you for bringing that up, because if you stumble on a word, the best thing you can do is keep going. Yeah. Don't even pay attention to it. The only time I've ever paid attention to it is when it's something that I go, actually, that's really funny. Like, you know, um, and you let the audience laugh with you. That's the only time. If you stumble, the only time the audience gets uncomfortable is when you get uncomfortable. So the audience will always respond to you. This is the other thing. They will respond to you. So if you stumble and you keep going, they'll keep going with you. But if you stumble and you get awkward, and it got to the yep. stage where I was delivering a keynote, because I do deliver keynotes now and again. It's not my favorite thing. I'd rather work with people like yep. business owners and whatnot. But I do do it now and again because people go, well, can you speak yourself? It's like, oh, okay, I better go and do some more and just remind people that I can do this. And you get so used to just keeping on going that I remember I was on a keynote last year. The stage wasn't put together beautifully. It was a big room, but the stage and my heel got stuck in a crack in the flooring join oh, as no. I was talking. And I could feel it because, you know, as a woman, you know when that heel is, is about. And I just, so I knew it. And just without thinking, I just walked out of that shoe as it came off, walked out of my shoe in the next, uh, the other shoe and just did the rest barefoot without missing a beat. And so many people commented on it and so many people locked right into me then because they were like, well, nothing's going to get in the way. So we don't need to be perfect. And if I was a perfectionist still, and I started as a perfectionist, so I wouldn't speak when I was younger. If I was still a perfectionist, that would have thrown me completely. I would have like really lost the plot. And the thing is, is when you're speaking, whether it's on a big stage like that, or whether you're just at the front of a room or you're at the, you know, down a camera, it's not about you. It's about the audience. So, you know, if I made sure that I wasn't phased by finishing that keynote in my bare feet on a stage in front of them, they weren't worried about it either. Yeah. I think that's so true. Like on stage, if you, something like that happens, you've got to deal with it. Yeah. Because you're live on stage. And so people on a camera can be like, oh, well, I'm going to record that again and keep yeah. trying to make it perfect over and over again. And you just really don't need to. I think people want to see real people. They and want so to see real people. So perfect. Then you're like, is that real? Too polished. And here's the thing: is that there's two. There's a balance to that. So we need to be real, 
The other thing though that people want, so my background, as I said, was recruitment and staffing, industrial relations, unions, all that sort of stuff. And the one thing that I got to know through all my research in that space is that people respond to certainty and consistency. So you can actually be a real horrible person. And we see this in business all the time. And some of us are seeing it in political leadership. And you can still lead people off a cliff. Yes. People will still follow you off a cliff. And it's because you are consistent in who you are and how you're showing up. So if you are 99% of the time this person, so if I'm 99% of the time this person turns up talking to you and then all of a sudden I turn up in deep trauma because of something that's happened in my life, that's not authenticity that serves the audience. That's not showing up as a real person. If I take it, you can take it down a few notches or up a few notches, but you can't do dramatic differences. Does that make sense? Just because yep. you're being raw and authentic because no matter who it is, I don't care whether it's for business, whether it's for pleasure, whether it's for community, whether it's for social impact, you have to be in a range of consistency so that people know that they can trust you. Okay. So, um, why do speakers have an uncommon advantage when it comes to building their businesses? So there's a couple of things here and I'm, I've only just started calling it the uncommon advantage because what I saw happen with my clients. So as everybody went into meltdown, as we went into lockdown, I, the first thing I did was I got my clients focused on serving others, like get into in front of the people that you work with right now, no money, no things of what do they need right now and help them with that. Even like just focus on service. So that was the first thing. Then the second thing was I started to notice that my clients were moving through the phases really fast. So the whole go to the floor, start picking back up, working out what the next step is, getting some business going again. And I was trying to figure out what it was. And what I realized it was, was they had an uncommon advantage because if you invest in speaking, if you build your career, build your muscle of speaking and get better at it, what happens is that you can clearly message something. So in all of the chaos that was going on and people pivoting fast and screaming at you that they could do this and do that, my people just stay consistent. They, their message cut through anyway. They stay consistent. Those who actually had no revenue for the first two months, we used the opportunity to build a media profile for them. They could do that really fast. In fact, one of the media agent, biggest media agencies in Australia actually rang me and said, we want more of your people. Every single one of your people coming through, we don't have to train to put on a television or a radio show because they knew how to articulate their message. So they could straight away move to other platforms. The other thing is, is that to build, to build great schools as a speaker or to be able to pitch really strongly, you actually have to script. And people will say to me all the time, I don't need to script, I just wing it. And I'm like, great. How much better could you be if you actually put some effort into it, right? Yeah. So you have to learn to script. And in that scripting, you have to learn how to write well. You have to learn how to shape stories well. You have to learn how to teach and share and educate well. And so all of a sudden you have these writing skills that right now give you so much strength. And so that's what I realized these people had. They had the ability... They didn't have to pivot. All of them just had to evolve or change their delivery method. And when they decided that they were going to use traditional media platform instead of digital media platform or the other way around, they were able to make that transition really fast because they were able to say their message in a way that an audience wanted to hear. And that is what has mattered in the last few months is not how fast you can pivot, not how fast you can yell at people, but how consistent you are in your identity and how much people could trust in what you were telling them. And that is the advantage that all of my private clients have had in this last three months. 
So speaking is kind of like a core of building a business. Like it is, it is like, it is, it is the fastest way. And you know, we have some joint colleagues in New York and Jess and Maggie asked me once why I do what I do. And I said to them, it is the fastest way to change your future reality. It's the fastest way to open possibilities. So, you know, when I fell into speaking, we had a business in regional Australia 15 years ago, turning over $4 million a year, very comfortable, right? Really comfortable. I'd been at that level for years, knew it inside out, really comfortable, really profitable, did really good work. When I accidentally started speaking, we, for the first time in years, had month-on-month growth, right? And then I realized if I spoke and my team were in the room, we would get a spike in business. And then I realized after about eight or nine months of speaking at everything that I was becoming the media commentator. So the media would seek me out for commentary on things to do with what we did in our business. And so that was when I went... I've got to take this really seriously. Like I've got to take it really seriously. So I went and built speaking first. So it was communications and speaking. And then I learned how to be a trainer and a facilitator. Then I did courses in negotiation and language. And what happened was every business I went into, so I'm a, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I'm sort of, you know, I serial entrepreneur. And even when I go internal in a corporate role, it's because there's like an entrepreneurial project that needs to happen to transform the business. So what I realized was I was able to use those skills to do no matter what I needed to do. And so it was about, you know, changing business direction, transforming a business, growing a business from scratch, being able to get a market to understand really quickly what it was that I did, being able to negotiate anything that I want. Like I'm actually saying to talk about speaking is actually the skill that you need to build to get what you want, right? to be able to ask for what you want, to be able to get people to buy into what you want, to create a vision, to share a vision, to articulate your values. And the other place has been really good because if you get into business, it's not Nirvana. <laughs> like we all get into business thinking it's going to be amazing. And then like we get smashed. It's like, you, it's like, I know in the US, you got those dolls that are sort of weighted in the bottom, they're round and they sort of bounce around. It's, it's a bit like that when you're in business, right? Yep. It's sort of like you yep. get these knots and get smashed. So it's also where I unexpectedly found incredible value in building these skills was actually in crisis. So whether it was an internal crisis, an external crisis, whether you had to navigate something that you'd never seen before, a challenge from a customer, being able to actually negotiate with customers who were in distress or unhappy. It's actually more important even in crisis, and this is what I've just seen with my clients with what hit us in March, it's actually more important in crisis that you've built these skills. So if you want to be able to get what you want and be able to navigate through when you get that slap around the face, Speaking is the best thing you can invest in. So yes, the public message is always about public speaking and professional speaking, but it's actually the fastest way to get what you want, no matter what that is. And I've proven it time and time again with what I've done. Well, it sounds like it also is going to impact your ability to close a deal or... Yeah. Yeah. Like, you so know, talk I... a little bit about that because people think, yeah. you know, like you're just, you're up speaking, but... So there's a first, so the first step of being able to close a deal, you never win a deal on the day, right? A deal is never won on the day. Unless you're selling, you know, anything under a thousand dollars, a deal is never won on the day. So the first part of that is absolutely building a speaking skill because you need to be able to position a message and speak from the front of a room when we get back to networking or speak down the barrel of camera in a way that people go, I want to know more, or I would trust you to do that for me. That's the first step. Then speaking is actually a process. So one of the things is getting really curious. So actually 
being able to ask great questions and having a broader language library or vocabulary than you might have now. So great questions. When you want to actually talk to them about something that you know you do, don't tell them what you do. Explain through story something that shows the results that you've been able to deliver or something that shows how you would apply what you've done before to what they're telling you about if it's something new for you. So don't answer questions by saying, this is what I do and this is how we do it and this is how it'll work for you. Actually respond to them in story. And when you do that, through questioning and story, what you want to do is you want to create a gap. So our key questions are, we have curiosity questions, we answer their things through story. And then we have, when I'm teaching people how to sell and to pitch, I have three core questions. So the first one is, so where are you with this right now? Right? Everything we've spoken about, I've got a fairly big idea on where I think you are, but where in your words are, do you feel you are with this right now? And the second question is, okay, great. So where do you want to be? If we were to say, go out two years time or 12 months time, where is it that you want to be with this particular challenge, right? Yeah. And I'll tell you that. The clincher is the question. So compared to where you are now and where you want to be, where are you actually right now compared to where you thought you would be by now, right? And yeah. that's the one that creates the gap that you can sell into. And then you say, okay, great. So if I, in everything that we've been talking about, if I actually had something that I believe can close that gap and get you there faster, because you don't want to promise them that you'll fix it. If I can, if what I do can close that gap and get you to where you thought you'd be faster, is that something that would be of interest? And by the time you get to closing the deal, it's done. So I'm thinking like some of the listeners of the show are also like nonprofit leaders and these skills are just as important in a nonprofit world. I like think securing sponsors and yeah, securing sponsors, getting stakeholder engagement, having your champions and advocates. You know, when you're in non not for profit nonprofit, my belief, and I've had a lot of involvement with community organisations and at board levels and things like that, and member-based organisations as well. And my belief is that when you're non-profit or not-for-profit, it's actually more critical because you actually, one, you have to be able to get the funds you need to deliver the services that you want. And you have to do that without exhausting your team because a lot of non-for-profits are so focused on the fundraising, funding efforts that their teams end up exhausted and their delivery over time can actually get worse, not better. So there's a certain level of fatigue and exhaustion that comes with that. So if you can get really good at these conversational skills and positioning skills and being able to actually ask the questions and close a deal and apply it to your world rather than a commercial setting, then you actually remove some of that funding and fundraising fatigue. The other thing is, is you actually have every single person you are having to sell all the time because you want them to buy into your dream. You want them to understand the impact that is possible. You want champions and advocates and raving fans who can sell the dream even when you're not there, right? You have yeah. stakeholders that you need to bring in and it's not just stakeholders that support your dreams and ideas. It's stakeholders at government and, you know, regulatory authorities and philanthropists that, you know, you are you're actually in a not-for-profit, you're actually selling and positioning far more consistently than we are in private commerce. And if you're a not-for-profit that can get your head around that and build those skills, you literally can take your work as far as you want. And I think storytelling becomes key in that, like telling the story of 
like the work that you're doing and the results that you're creating, not the, like you were saying, not how, you know, how we do it necessarily, but the outcomes that are created yeah. as a result yeah. of your work. Um, yeah. And it's about actually identifying like, you know, who, who is the person that epitomizes or who, what is the project that epitomizes what's possible when this thing works well and building a story around that. Yeah. Because people want to know People want to buy into a big vision and sometimes, especially not for profit, we're so busy in delivery, we forget that it's actually the vision and the impact is what gets people involved. It's not, it's not just that it's the right thing to do. If it was the right thing to do, the whole world wouldn't even need not-for-profit social impact driven on in enterprises. It's not about this is the right thing to do. It's not about you should and it's not about we need to. It's about when we do this and we do it the way that we've learned and we've discovered gives this outcome, the world becomes a better place and you can be part of that. Yep. That's powerful. So I know we're um, running out of time. So I wanted to find out where people should be in touch with you. What's the best yeah. place for them to so, reach out to you? There's a couple of different ways. The main one is for general information is via our website, which is speakableu.com. And there are some free resources on there. There are some lower investment levels and then there's obviously individual attention as well. But essentially, whatever you find on that website, we are now delivering virtually. So we have been delivering virtually. We're getting great results. So don't sort of look at it and go, oh, it looks like it's in person. We're doing everything virtually. I just don't need to scream it because we've been doing it for years anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the second way is via LinkedIn. I'm really happy to reach out and connect via people. I'm Jacqueline Nagel one on LinkedIn. Okay, great. And those, I'll have your website and your LinkedIn in the show notes so people can, can find those easily. Any last things that we didn't cover that you want people to know um, that I missed yeah. during our conversation? I think actually the conversation has been quite, broad ranging. So I think we've covered off a lot. But one of the things is that there's, a, there's also a misconception, there's a lot of misconceptions out there about speaking. But one of the things is that there is quite often people think that extroverts make better speakers than introverts. Mm. Um, and if I was doing an Australian podcast, to use a much stronger word, but no, that's not true. Um, it's introverts, 80% of great speakers, even professional speakers are introverts. Introverts actually are more powerful speakers a lot of the time than extroverts because introverts, it's important that if I get out from behind my closed doors that I'm making a difference. So it's not about whether you're introverted or extroverted. It's not about if you know stagecraft. It's not about if you know where to stand on the stage. It's not about how you use your hands. What it is about is that you have something of value to say and you have a way of saying it that recreates a picture in the minds of the audience. That's what matters, not whether you're introvert or extrovert. Everybody can be a great speaker. Ah, that's great. And everybody has a story to share and yeah. information to share too. Yeah. I think sometimes people think, oh, what I have to say is not important enough. And yeah, I, I really, um, I get quite passionate about that. So there's a couple of things, you know, every business and every career has a story and you're the voice of it. Nobody can tell your yep. story like you can. That's number one. And number two is, you know, when I actually work with someone to extract their keynote or their signature presentation or their business presentation, we have a, we, we actually have a brainstorming activity where even if you think you know what you're going to talk about, we go into what I call the deep dusty corners of your mind, because it's the things that you think have no value to other people that you just do because that's how you do. 
is usually the things that the audience is craving knowing the most about because you've done it for so long, you do it so well, you forget its value. And so we deliberately go into the deep, dusty corners of your mind and what you've done to pull those things out because sometimes the real genius in what you do is in the things that you've forgotten that you do them. Yeah, that's great. Well, I want to thank you so much for being here and spending time with me. And It's been um, really good. Good. Well, it's so nice to meet you and have you on the show. And I encourage people to reach out on speakableyou.com is the best place or LinkedIn and the note down in the show notes will have that information so that people can just be in touch easily. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Donna. Have you picked up the Visionary Womenpreneurs Field Guide yet? It's filled with information to help you build a marketing system that becomes predictable and reliable for growing your business. Pick up the field guide today at visionarywomenpreneurs.com. Thanks for joining me today at Visionary Women Printers Radio. I hope it was helpful to you in your journey as a visionary woman printer. And I hope that you'll join our community on Facebook, Visionary Women Printers, and join the conversation. I look forward to seeing you on our next show. Make it a great day.